Welcome to the 242nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In 1996, the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service produced a document called America's Private Land, A Geography of Hope. It's an extraordinary government publication, given its acknowledgement that industrialized monocultural farming systems have caused significant problems when it comes to the health of our landscape, and changes are needed if we're to head off ecological catastrophe. To top it off, it quotes Aldo Leopold, Wendell Berry, and Wallace Stigner, writers who were never shy about critiquing the philosophy that farmland, and all land for that matter, is there for the taking, and that humans have an innate right to do with it what they will. But the 80-page booklet is not just a report card on the negative impacts farming and ranching were having on our soil, water, and wildlife at the time. It was also seen as an inspiring argument for the positive role diversified farming systems could play in developing a landscape that was ecologically and economically viable. So inspiring, in fact, that when then-Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman read a draft of the document, it moved him to tears. When I reread A Geography of Hope recently, I realized that although some of the data may be out of date, its message about the importance of working lands conservation is as relevant today as it was 25 years ago. Through maps, graphics, and writing that ranges from the matter-of-fact to downright lyrical, Geography of Hope lays out the environmental problems facing private lands that have been exposed to too much tillage, chemical inputs, and over-applications of manure from CAFOs. But then it goes on to, through case studies and big-picture examples, describe the potential creative, regenerative farming systems have for correcting these problems. One of the reasons a Geography of Hope was not your typical dry government document was that it was the brainchild of Paul Johnson, an Iowa farmer and former state legislator who has long promoted the idea that conservation of our natural resources and food production are not mutually exclusive. Before becoming the head of the NRCS in 1994, Johnson studied forestry and farmed near the Upper Iowa River in northeastern Iowa. During his tenure in the Iowa legislature, he was instrumental in establishing Iowa State University's Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture, and the creation of a groundwater protection law that was once seen as a national model. Throughout his career, Johnson has adhered to a core philosophy that if we're to see conservation agriculture become more commonplace, it will require a social compact between farmers and the rest of society. It isn't just about enforcing certain rules or putting in place specific programs. Care of the land has to become seen as the right thing to do and society has to figure out a way to give farmers the emotional and economical support to do that. One way to forge that connection is through the power of words, Johnson believes. He brought that philosophy with him to Washington, D.C. As a dairy and sheep farmer and someone who had run for office based on his farming background, he had the agricultural credentials, but Johnson was not afraid to wear his environmental colors. In his D.C. office, he displayed a picture of Rachel Carson, the author of the seminal environmental book, Silent Spring. He was pressured to take it down, but refused. Johnson played a key role in the creation of the conservation title of the 1996 Farm Bill. Any farmer who has used environmental quality incentives program funds to put in a rotational grazing system or season-extending hoop house has him to thank. But a geography of hope may be his most public legacy. Johnson felt such a publication was needed not only to justify the NRCS's existence as a standalone conservation agency, 
but to highlight the key role private agricultural lands play in the health of the overall landscape. As the publication points out, half of the United States is in cropland, pasture, or rangeland. That meant, and still means, care of 50% of the country is in the hands of less than 2% of its citizens. Johnson feels strongly that farming can produce more than food and fiber. It can produce ecological health. And that sediment is reflected in A Geography of Hope. Johnson got the title of the publication from Wallace Stegner, who had written that the preservation of the nation's last tracts of wildlands represented a, quote, geography of hope. Paul Johnson wrote in the foreword to the publication that Stegner was right, yet today we understand that narrowly circumscribed areas of natural beauty and protected land alone cannot provide the quality of environment that people need and want. We must also recognize the needs of America's private land and private landowners for us to truly have a geography of hope. Johnson's audience for his publication was policymakers. In fact, every member of Congress got a copy, as well as then-President Bill Clinton. But Johnson also saw a geography of hope speaking to the farmers who had to put in place effective conservation practices. After all, Johnson wanted them to be proud of the role they had played and could play in the future when it came to land stewardship. The former head of the NRCS is retired now and lives back on the farm he and his wife Pat own in northeastern Iowa. He's been slowed by a tractor accident, but is still an outspoken proponent of making farming a key player in a healthy ecosystem. As the 25th anniversary of the publication of A Geography of Hope approaches, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him about the important role farming can play in creating a healthy landscape. This podcast includes excerpts of that conversation. Paul Johnson started out talking about why commodity groups and other elements of the agriculture industry did not prevent publication of a geography of hope by a USDA agency, and why it's important for farmers to develop a kind of social compact with society at large. We let them see the the first copies and things like that, get their comments, and uh, they they had a hard time saying no because... You know, we put it in a positive light for farmers, mm-hmm. too, and that farmers were doing good things and that, mm-hmm. you know, farming is really not single function. It should be multifunction. Mm-hmm. And a good farm also farms water and wildlife. We didn't say it, but biodiversity and mm-hmm. carbon sequestration, all yeah. of those things. Mm-hmm. We added the aesthetics of the land, too. If you don't do all of those things, you're not a good farmer. And I think that, you know, we push sustainable agriculture, but I think multifunctional agriculture would have been a better way to put it. And we should do it today. We should really have a major effort that if you're a good farmer, you don't just farm corn and soybeans or rice or cotton. A good farmer, first of all, a good farmer has to farm water. Iowa gets 32 inches of precipitation a year, and it all falls on farmland. And if farmers are not doing a good job, we're not going to have clean water. So every farmer has a responsibility for this. And, And soil conservation, we've talked about it in terms of erosion, but, uh, if we'd have called it the Water Conservation Service, I think we'd add more soil conservation even. You, you, you've got to treat your soil right if you're going to have good water. And you don't do that the way we're doing it right now. It's important that the public understands that 
much of the health of our land depends on on agriculture. Mm-hmm. I it just seems to me that well, Leopold put it well, I think, in his essay on the farmer as a conservationist that uh, conservation is harmony between people and land. When land does well for the farmer and the farmer does well by the land, when both end up better, then you have. But they aren't going to be better if society doesn't understand that uh, much of the health of the land around them mm-hmm. and even the beauty of the land mm-hmm. is dependent on the farmer. And the farmer weaves the carpet on which America stands. Mm-hmm. Does the farmer just weave a, the gray carpet or add some color to it as yeah. well? And that the difference is between soil conservation and all the other things that they could put on that land. Mm-hmm. Look, we've gone 10,000 years of agriculture trying to domesticate land. And in the last 50 years, we have done it. We used to walk our bean fields to cut velvet leaf and things out of it. Today, there isn't a single thing that grows on our corn and soybean. Iowa has 26 million of our 36 million acres in corn and soybeans. And there is not another living thing allowed to live in it. And even things that we don't know about in the soil are being destroyed. This is a crisis. Not only that, but in the last 30 years, we've decoupled animals from land. We've decoupled people from animals. No cow has a name anymore. And we're about to decouple land from people. Around here, probably a third of our land at least is not farmed by the people who own it. But agriculture is still denying and delaying. Until that changes, I don't think we'll... Agriculture is the part that has to move next. And just look at what we do could do even if we moved to no-till. Now, no-till needs some work, too. We've got to be able to do no-till with far less herbicide than we're now using. But uh, when we broke the prairie here, we had about 6% organic matter in our soils on the average across the state. We're down to about 1% now. Going to no-till, not slicing the ground open at all anymore, will greatly improve our water quality. I think the future of agriculture is going to depend on a social compact with farmers and the public. Johnson and I also discussed how focusing too much on implementing conservation programs can distract from what should be the real goal, helping farmers practice a holistic stewardship ethic toward the land. First of all, conservation is never, never completed. We have farmers retiring and new ones coming on, and they all have, we have to start over with every one of them. And uh, sometimes we have politicians who say, well, you've done it now. You haven't done it. And uh, so I, I think that that's an important part of it. I also think that we end up focusing too much on a few programs and not enough on preaching the gospel mm-hmm. of conservation. All of my speeches, I'd bring up an elder Leopold or 
somebody like that and uh, got to the point where people were telling me, Paul, you've got to start talking about the programs and how much money they could get from them. And uh, I, I just couldn't do that because we really need to, I think, remind farmers of their responsibilities. We have this idea of democracy being focused on liberty, but liberty without responsibility is not a healthy place. And we're always talking about liberty, mm-hmm. and you have the rights to do these things, but you also have responsibilities. You can't have a good democracy without that. And uh, I don't think we preach that enough. And I, I think that they've been told that conservation is soil erosion mm-hmm. so much, and they haven't been challenged to do other things. But when farmers do get into other things, they like them. When we first started doing buffers, uh, the first ones were done in, in Ohio, and they did a pilot project, a 10-year project. And after 10 years, that, that came about the time we started our programs here. They found that their 10-year program expired, but most farmers were keeping them still. They, they did not plow them out even though they didn't get paid after that. We had the same deal with wetlands. You know, when I started working wetlands in Iowa, I was told, you better be careful. Somebody's going to shoot you in your back. Wetlands were just a no-no, absolute. Now we've got farmers saying, how can I get a wetland? Hmm. And the farmers who have them say, it's the most interesting part of my whole farm. They really do. Hmm. And I think good buffers do the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to talk about those things, getting back to functional ideas again mm-hmm. on agriculture. And I, I think it isn't just programs, but it's reminding farmers and challenging them and thanking them too. Mm-hmm. Between here and Des Moines, I've taken it a hundred times or more. And uh, I've watched farmers putting new buffers in and so on. And there's one place in particular that I really liked that I went by. And one day I, I said, I'm going to stop and say thank you to these people because they've, they're just beautiful what they've done. And so I went and it was, there was an older woman working in her garden. And I came to her and said, you know, I going by here and I've watched you put this in and watch it develop and I want to say thank you and she started to cry oh she said nobody's ever done that and nobody ever first of all I don't think most people know what they're looking at Mm -hmm. and if you really stop and look at it even my environmental friends they don't look at the land and if they knew what they were looking at, they would be able to say this is this is really good or it's getting better or this is really bad. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that. They don't even know what to look for. One of the problems with being in this work is you are aware of a lot of hurts on the land mm-hmm. too, and it hurts every time you see it. And you realize that our soil conservation people have got to be out talking to those people 
but we also need to be thanking the good ones, and I don't think we do. Finally, if a new edition of A Geography of Hope was published today, what would it look like? Paul Johnson says, for one thing, it would focus on informing the general public about the importance of creating and supporting farming practices that build soil health. I think we need to really focus on that and figure out what the best way is to do that and, and to let people know, but at the same time, you know, your land stewardship project are practical farmers. Wisconsin's got a good program going now, too. Mm-hmm. We need to get together and talk about how we can, first of all, make the public know that we can do good, but then also tell our farmers that we can do good and mm-hmm. we can do better, too. And Leopold said it well, I think, when he said, uh, conservation born out of fear will not get you there, but it should be viewed as a positive act. And uh, farmers should stop seeing it as, I've got to do this, and say, wow, I do this. It always really bothered me that farmers would be so worried about an endangered species on their farm. They should be proud of an endangered species. We should have good programs to to help them do it, too, so that they can be proud. Mm -hmm. We just got to flip it around somehow. So we have to work with the farm community, and at the same time, we have to work, I think, with the public. People drive on Highway 80 and 35 across Iowa, and they they don't see what's going on on the land. People don't, people don't see it. They don't realize that it's been there. But I, you'd be hard put to find an acre of land anywhere that hasn't had a little bit of conservation on it. This area, half the farms wouldn't be farms anymore if we didn't have the soil conservation movement. The gullies were getting bigger and bigger, dividing the fields into smaller and smaller pieces. Just think of what it would have been like. I don't think people realize that. But they also, I think, need to understand that much of our land is not healthy being farmed the way we are right now. You look at soil and, you know, soil should be, and soil health is defined by the many functions of soil. And soil isn't just keeping the surface from running off, but it's Soil's a buffer. It's a filter. It's a, it's a place where there's a lot of very important life. And soil conservation has got to be all of those things and not just one. And that defines soil health, I think. For a copy of America's Private Land, A Geography of Hope, See the links on the podcast page for this episode of Ear to the Ground. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members. 
who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.